That was really, really enthusiastic. Thanks, guys. That's the nice Minnesotan way of saying that was horrible and really lame, but that's okay. If you don't know me, my name is Brock, and I'm the pastor here at Agape. Uh, We're so glad that you decided to come out this morning. We are a new church, dropping stuff, and uh, we started about seven months ago, I think, and so we're just excited to still be on this journey, uh, building our foundation, and we're going somewhere, so we're excited for what God is beginning to stir in our hearts and beginning to build here um, in the Bermuda Triangle of St. Louis Park, Golden Valley, and Minneapolis. I say that because we're, as you know, on the border of Minneapolis, St. Louis Park, and Golden Valley in no man's land over here. Um, So yeah, we're just so glad that that you're here this morning. Um, We are in part five of our series called Bible Stories. And this is a series you haven't been here, where we're just walking through some of the parables that Jesus told. And a parable is a fancy way of of teaching back in the day. What they would do is tell a story, and the story was fictional, but it had deep existential meaning in which we can apply to our lives. Um, And so we're just walking through some of the parables that Jesus told and seeing how we can apply them to our lives today in 2019. And so this week, we're looking at Matthew uh, chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Uh, If you don't have your Bibles, you can look up on the screen and you can follow along with us there. Um, It says this, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To the one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two bags more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. That doesn't seem very practical, I know. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. A little bit redundant, I know, but wait, there's more. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came and said, master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master said, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, 
You should have put money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. On that note, let's pray. <laughs> Lord, we just thank you this morning that we can gather in, together and uh, worship your name. Lord, we just speak freedom over uh, every individual in this place. Whatever we walked in here carrying the doubt, the brokenness, the fear, the anxiety, the worry, Lord, we just lay it at your feet right now, Lord. We ask that you take it away. Lord, I pray that you begin to change us from the inside out. Life is, has highs and life has lows, and so may we lean into you to get our consistency, lean into you to get our joy, so that no matter what we face, we have you, we have joy, we have peace, and we have purpose, no matter what we're going through and what we're facing. Lord, we pray for this church that you're building. We pray, we just speak momentum in your name. Lord, I'm going to speak in faith this into existence, Lord. We, we, we speak uh, lost people coming here and finding relationship in you, in your name. We speak broken people being healed spiritually in this place, Lord. We speak physical healings in your name, God. We lean into that. We know it's going to happen, and so we just buckle in, and we wait, and we pursue you, and we pray that it happens from a place of fulfillment, not for fulfillment. Lord, we just love you. We thank you for all that you've done inside of us. And so we grab hold of that truth that you've spoken into us today. In your name, amen. Amen. I have two points today. And side note, I'm doing something new and just radical. And I'm going to try my hardest. This is my promise to try to preach a 30-minute message instead of 50 Give him praise. Um, it'll be, uh, we, we started podcasting, so if you're listening on the podcast, hello, you won't be listening to this right now, but in the future, which is a weird thing, but we don't have to get into that. Um, we started podcasting, and I listened back, and I was like, wow, I can cut about 15 to 20 minutes of crap out of that, and I can just come up here and say the good stuff and get off stage. And so that's what I'm going to try to do <laughs> starting today. We'll see how that goes. Point number one. I think Jesus is trying to tell us two main things from this parable uh, and two things we can apply to our lives today. Point number one is this. Work with what you've got. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. You can take a picture of that if you want, or you can just ask God what he's speaking to you about this passage. Work with what you've got. Now, we live uh, down over here in St. Louis Park, just about a mile south of, of where we're at right now. And last year, about this time, Excel Energy, I believe it was, came and they dug up the whole, our whole street. They dug up everyone's yard and they replaced some piping. Now, it was inconvenient at the moment, but I thank 
them for doing so because it was backed up and something might have exploded. So thank you, Excel Energy. I'm not mad at you. But they dug up my yard. I didn't love that because I'm slowly morphing into a crotchety old man. And you're going to see my metamorphosis on stage. Um, and they dug up my lawn. I, di I, I didn't love that. So it's, they, they lay down dirt. So it was beautiful green grass. And they, they come and they just dig it up. They lay down dirt and they dip out. And I'm like, this is, that's sick. This is a small form of torture. Um, and to make it better, like, we can't do anything about it because this was in late November last year. Why did they wait so long? I don't know. Ask them. Um, it's late November. They, they throw down a bunch of dirt, and then it gets covered in snow. And I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm going to have a great time dealing with this in the spring. Fast forward a few months. Spring comes, and we didn't know this. It was very nice. So I didn't lash out. I didn't get angry. Thank God. I just kind of festered a little bit. And they came, and they laid down sod on our whole street. Every yard had sod in it. And if you don't know about sod, you have to water it, like, obsessively in order for it to grow. And so we get out our fancy sprinkler, and, and that's what I have, is the sprinkler on a garden hose. And so we're real excited about this, and we think it's going to work really well, a sprinkler on our garden hose. Now, um, it was working. It was getting the sod wet, and it was raining out. And so we were, like, really hoping that it would become green and grow because that's the goal. Now, while this is going on, um, one day a week, one or two days a week, I open a coffee shop. Plug, pennies downtown, come check us out. Um, I, open the, I do opening shift at that coffee shop a couple days a week, and it was one of the first times since the sod had gotten laid down, I was walking out, and it was about 5.50 in the morning, and I'm walking down our driveway, and uh, on the right side of our driveway is our yard, and on the left side is our neighbor's yard. And so I'm walking down the driveway, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I hear this, like, raising sound, like, and then a tick and a hiss. And I see out of his yard raise this tiny turret. And the first thought in my head is, I'm dead. Like, this guy installed, like, a White House security system. I'm going to get shot by this turret. And it starts going, and I'm like, running away, freaking out. Come to find out, it was not bullets. It was water. And they all simultaneously, on every corner of his yard and then throughout the borders, raised up these little turrets, and they started shooting water all over his yard. And then I stood back for a minute and just kind of marveled in the glory of of what was before me. And then I looked over and I saw a lazily thrown garden hose <laughs> with a sprinkler on it that wasn't even turned on because we have to go turn it on manually. And I, I had two thoughts that ran through my head. One, like, that might be a giant waste of money to me <laughs> to do that. And then two, the more realistic thought was I was really jealous. Uh, 
because he had turrets that watered his lawn automatically, and I had a garden hose. And I thought, man, my lawn <laughs> is never going to be green. His is going to look so much better than mine. And I got really jealous, and I was a little annoyed that I had to go out and turn mine on every time manually, and it wasn't going to look as good. I felt like I have to do more work, and my lawn isn't going to look nearly as good as yours. <laughs> and then fast forward, our lawn looks, out of 10, it's like an 8, where the sod was down, and his is a 10. So it's pretty good for a garden hose. Like it did, it did a good job. I say all that to say that I think that that's one thing that God is highlighting to us in this parable. I think we do that with people. We do that with, sometimes with calling. We do that with assignments. This person got assigned to this by God. God led them here. Oh, this person has this. And I only have this. And we compare what God has given us to what God has given other people. Personally, being vulnerable, I do it all the time as a church planter. We started this church, and then you look at another church that started the similar time, and theirs is taking off, and ours is kind of not yet um, and that's hard. I, and I compare, and then that kind of seeds bitterness inside of me. It starts to, and then I have to repent of it right away. Because honestly, all I can do is be obedient with what God has given me. That's what this parable is, is telling us. It doesn't matter how big or how fast our church is growing. All I can do is show up here and give it all that I have every single week. That's how I work and use my talents. That's how I work with what I've got. Uh, could you imagine if I would have looked at that guy's elaborate lawn mowing or, or watering system and just thought, man, mine isn't going to be as good as his, so I might as well not even try. I'm never going to be able to do what that person has the resource or talent or capability to do, so I might as well not even try. I think we speak that over our lives all the time. Well, look at that person. They have that. They do this. They look like this. They have fill in the blank. And we think, I can never do what they're doing. Well, good, because you're not called to do what they are doing. God gave one person ten bags, the other person five, and the other person one. He gives us all different things, but listen, he's given us something. That's what I want us to realize this morning. To the guy that he only gave one bag, he gave him what? Something to work with. A lot of times we look and we compare it to something that seems like God has given someone more and we think, I have nothing. No, you have something. God's entrusted you with something. It doesn't matter what something he gave to someone else. It matters what he's given to you and what you're doing with it. It's not if God's given you something. It's what has he given you 
And what are you going to do with it? Are you going to work with what you've got? Or are you going to bury it in the ground? See, I think a lot of times we end up burying it, or maybe I'm more susceptible to this. I don't know. I could be the only one in here. But a lot of times I think we end up burying what God's given us because we compare it to someone else. And then that comparison leads to cynicism. And we start to get cynical and bitter and jealous and angry. And then that cynicism, it leads to us, what? Covering. Covering up what God's given us. Comparison, it leads us to cynicism, which leads us to covering. Then we end up burying the one thing that God's given us and entrusted us with. So no wonder it feels like often we're spinning our wheels. No wonder it feels like everyone else is doing something great for God and we're doing nothing. Maybe it's not that everyone else is doing something great. It's that we're just simply not using what God has given us. And we spend more time fantasizing about what other people have and what other people are doing and less time taking care of what God has given us. If I would have just looked at my neighbor's lawn and fantasized about how great his watering system was and never turned on my sprinkler, my lawn would be sod to this day. And then I would wonder, why isn't my grass growing? But that's what we do often. That's what I do spiritually. I don't take care of what God's given me and I wonder why my grass is brown and dirt. Listen, God has given you something. I don't know what it is, but you got to work with what you've got. You got to work with what you've got. And listen, this is for me and this is for someone this morning. Just because God hasn't given you more doesn't mean that he values you less. God values us all Equally, your value is not determined by what you have and what you've been entrusted with. Your value is determined by the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and he loves you and he accepts you. He values us all equally. He loves us all the same. He's accepted us all with our mess and with our mistakes and with our regrets and with our past. He accepts you the way you are and he values you for who you are, where you are, right now. So it's not a question of does he value me and has he given me anything? It's what am I going to do with what he's given me? I don't have to work to receive his value, but because I'm valued, I get to work. You got to work with what you've got instead of burying your talents. Could you imagine if, if every week I went to write my sermon and thought in my head, oh, there's only going to be 50 people here anyways. Might as well throw some piece of crap message together or listen to Stephen Furtick podcast and copy down everything he says. It doesn't matter. His sermon's better than mine anyways. 
we would go nowhere and I would speak to no one. But instead, what I do is I force myself. It's hard sometimes. I'm being vulnerable, but it's hard sometimes. I force myself to hear from God and to carry a message for us. Why? Because it's what I've been entrusted with. And I'm not saying this to pat my own back because I haven't done a great job doing this. And I'm not saying it's easy for me to do it. But it's what I've been entrusted with. And so I'm going to work with what I've got. God's given me a gift to preach his word. And so I got to use it. God's given you something. So you got to use it. Otherwise, how can we change the world? And how can we change ourselves if we don't work with what we've got? Point number two. False motives or false narratives lead to fear. False narratives lead to fear. Say that one more time, and then I'm going to explain it. False narratives lead to fear. When I was in second grade, I was absolutely insane. Um, if you think I'm lively now, you should have seen me. Oh, it is not good. And now for some reason, every day in second grade, right after lunch, I had choir class, okay? And every day in choir class, I was a mess, and I would misbehave, interrupt the whole thing. I would sing so obnoxiously and off-key and just disrupt the whole thing. Now, I don't know why. It could possibly be because I just got pumped full of processed food and chocolate milk. I don't know. That might be part of it. Could have been my friends egging me on because they knew that I would do kind of whatever they say just to disrupt things because I was sick in the head. Um, or it could have been the class that, it, or there's the fact that it was choir class and it was really boring. And so, I don't know. I don't know what was going on in my head though. Um, I still don't really, so I apologize. But second grade, and, I, and I'm just disrupting the class just about every day. And every day I got talked to by the teacher and disciplined every day. And eventually the teacher got sick of talking to me and disciplining me, which I'm surprised she went as long as she did. And eventually she just wrote a note to my parents and now I don't know what the note said. I never read it. And my parents may or may not have never read it. <laughs> because after receiving the, no the note, I did what any logical, sinful second grader would do. And I threw it out of the bus window <laughs> on the way home. Now, I dug my own grave when I did that because, because I thought I was saving my butt. But I really dug my own grave because the note, little did I know, at the bottom it said, please sign this when you've read it and so you can return it back to me so I know that you saw it. So obviously... 
time's going by, and the note never gets returned because it was thrown somewhere in Wapaka, Wisconsin. That's where I was living. At the time, the note is somewhere to this day. <laughs> no, just kidding. I don't know where it is. Um, the note never got back to the teacher, and time went on, and eventually she was wondering about it, so uh, she called my parents. Then the whole episode, the whole chilling story was told, and I got in way bigger trouble <laughs> than I would have if I would have just given them the note. I didn't know what the note even said. It was probably not her being mean. It was, she was probably genuinely concerned for my mental health at this point and was just like wanting to figure out something to do to help me through this time. I, I don't know. But all I remember is when she gave me the note, I had one thought going through my head. My dad is going to kill me. That's all I was thinking about is my dad. My dad's going to kill me. Like, literally, I'm dead. I made it to second grade. <laughs> Seven. I'm still under three feet tall at this point. I can't, like, it's over. I'm dead. Now, we know that's not true. I literally, though, I thought my dad was going to kill me and wipe me off the face of the earth. And so that was the story that I believed. That was the narrative that I was speaking over my life about my dad. And so I let that, what? It created fear of what would happen in my head. And so out of that fear, I acted and I threw the note away out of the bus. Try to save my own skin. See, the false narrative about my dad led me into fear. False narratives lead to fear. And, and I, even in my life as a pastor, 27, real old, I know, I have false narratives in my mind about God. And so I think a lot of us in here, if we're honest, we do as well. And we let those false narratives about God and who, who we think that he is and the God that we've created in our own head out of our pain, out of misfortune, out of our doubt, out of our circumstance, that God that we created is not our God. But we create this false God almost from this false narrative and, and, and when we create this fake identity for God and this fake story about who he is and what he thinks about us, that leads us to live in fear. And then we do stupid, irrational things. Like throw notes out of bus windows and expect that my parents are never going to hear about it. False narratives lead to fear. I've heard it said, and I might have even have said it, and I'm apologizing if I said this, uh, I've heard it said that, that fear is not the absence of faith. And I, I, don't know, I was thinking about that this week. Fear is not the absence of faith. And 
you know what, I don't think that's true. I think it sounds really cool, and it's a cool new thought. Oh, it's actually not the absence of faith. But then I read the Bible, and in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it says this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. So if faith is not the absence of fear, then how do you make sense of this? But just because we feel fear does not mean that we don't have faith. I think faith comes in, it depends on what we do with the fear. When I feel fear, do I let my faith be greater than my fear and thus drive out my fear and remind myself that I am loved and I serve the God that created the universe so I don't have anything to be afraid of because he has my back. Perfect love drives out fear. There's another version of the Bible and it says perfect love turns fear out of doors. I love that. It says, get out of here. So faith and the love of God is the absence of fear if you believe the Bible. And so my question is, why do I constantly then feel afraid because I pursue God avidly and consistently in my life? All the time. Every day I pursue God. And if I, if I pursue him and his perfect love is supposed to drive out fear, then why do I still feel fear even though I'm pursuing the God that's supposed to take it away? Band, you can go ahead and come back up. So how does this make sense? If I'm pursuing God, then why do I still feel afraid? And why do I still act out of fear? I think it's because we've in our head, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's not that we're not pursuing God. Or maybe it is. But maybe it's not that we're not pursuing God, but that we have a misconception of the God that we're pursuing. I wonder if it's not that I'm not pursuing God, and it's not that you're not pursuing God, but you have a misconception of the God that you are pursuing. That's what this guy had about his master was a misconception. He literally says, I knew you were a hard man. I knew this about you. So I was afraid. I knew this. I knew you were no good, so I was afraid, so I buried my bag that you entrusted me with. He created a misconception. There was a misconception about his master, and that led him to live and act out of fear. I knew you were a hard man. I think that we do that and, and make that conclusion about God. God, I knew you wouldn't come through. God, I knew you didn't really love me and that you don't really see me and that you don't really know me. Look at what they have and look what I have. God, I know that you don't actually care about me. 
I knew it. God, I knew I wasn't good enough. I knew I would fail. I knew you wouldn't come through. I knew you would leave me alone to suffer and to fall. But I'm here to tell someone this morning that that is not true. God loves you and he cares for you and he died for you and he values you and he accepts you. He has not abandoned you. He's not left you alone. God loves you. He has a plan and he has a purpose for your life, for your situation, for the season that you're in. So let's stop comparing what someone else has compared to what we have or what God's doing in someone else's life compared to what he's doing in our lives. And let's start just being faithful with what God has put in our hands. So I find it really interesting that it wasn't the guy that was given five bags or the guy that was given two bags that buried him. It was the guy that was given one bag was the one that decided to bury it. So I wonder if God isn't giving us more bags because he knows what we're going to do with it. I wonder if he's calling us this morning to stop projecting the false narratives about him over our lives and start living in the truth about who he is and how much he loves us and cares about us. Because the more that we're faithful with what we have, the more that he's going to entrust to us. And you know what? If he's giving you less, that's great. That's less pressure to live with. And you can go ride your motorcycle more on the weekends or do whatever it is you do. So we've got to work with what he's given us because he's given you something. We've got to not let our false narratives or misconceptions about God lead us to fear because that's why this guy buried his bag at the end of the day. He misunderstood his master, and so he misstepped, and he buried his bag of gold. Let's understand who God is and how much he loves us this morning. I think the best way to do that is in a minute, we're just gonna spend some time pursuing him. Let's let him, if our hearts and, and our souls are open to it, let's let him speak his truth about who he is over our lives this morning. I feel like there's someone in here this morning, real quick, um, there's someone in here this morning that thinks this might be true for everyone in here but me. When I say God has given you something, you think, yeah, that's awesome, and he's given everyone in this room something but me. I don't, look at my life, I don't have this, I don't have this. I walked away he doesn't love me anymore because I walked away. He's not given me anything. I'm going to read a verse that we all know. If you've ever if you've read the Bible or heard the Bible, you know you know this verse. 
This is for us that believe the lie that God hasn't given us anything. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God hasn't given you anything. He gave you his son. Because he cares about you, because he loves you, because he values you, and he wants you to spend eternity with him and with a body of believers in wholeness, in fulfillment, in his perfect peace. He loves you. He's given you something. And we get to work with what we've got, and what we have is Jesus. What more do you need? So we're going to sing. We're going we're gonna to pursue him. We're going to praise him this morning. So wherever you're at, if you're comfortable, I want you to stand and raise your hands. If you're more reflective and you'd rather sit down, that's fine. But we're going to worship. So go ahead and stand if you're comfortable. We're going to sing that our God reigns. Let, let that be your song over your life today because he does reign. He is in control. And so let's sing his praise this morning.